Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. So what does the successful terrorist attack in Brussels tell us about the current state of the global war on terror? Let's ask frequent Weekly Standard contributor from the Foundation of Defense of Democracies and the Long War Journal, Thomas Jocelyn. Tom, welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, Michael. So uh, what was your first response once you saw the scale of yesterday's attacks? I guess disappointed because it was so unsurprising. I mean, what I mean by that is this was so expected for so long by Belgian authorities, by European counterterrorism officials. There's nothing surprising about this at all. And what that's really what worries me the most, because it's not a case where, you know, these are compartmentalized cells that nobody knows about. They're pulling off these types of attacks now. We're dealing with a situation where known networks and known terrorists are getting through the counterterrorism defenses and are able to pull off attacks. Now, I say that recognizing that there's a lot we still don't know about the specifics of how this went down yesterday. And I mean the actual nitty-gritty details, not the broad picture. We know it's ISIS members. We know that it was connected to ISIS in a lot of different ways. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying in terms of who these guys exactly were, you know, in the pecking order within these networks in France and Belgium and elsewhere in Europe. Um, but by the same token, all the early reporting we've seen says that these guys were working with uh, the guys who pulled off the Paris attacks or helped pull off the Paris attacks last November. And that's really troubling because this means this is a known network. These are known guys in some in some ways who, who at least should have been known, and yet they still pulled this off. Uh, so, in other words, it's not the case that you had, say, uh, look, we've seen in a couple of uh, the odd situations in America, someone who uh, seemed to have no connections whatsoever to Islamism, and then suddenly one day they, you know, shout Allahu Akbar and shoot up a military recruiting station. These are people that, if you had competent monitoring of known ISIS networks, these guys would have been all over the radar screen. Do I have that right, Tom? Yeah, I mean, that's my initial impression. I mean, obviously it takes time to get all the precise details in place, but, you know, look at the earlier reporting that comes out, and you, you say, okay, well, the two brothers who have now been fingered for uh, two of the explosions yesterday, you know, are, are thought to have been tied to some of the known perpetrators of the November 2013 Paris attack. Right. And, you know, the, the fingerprints have been linked to them, DNA, that kind of thing. And you look at that and you say, wow, how did the Belgians not know that these brothers were part of this network until March 15th, which is what the New York Times reported this morning? I mean, that's really troubling because this is a known network. Everybody's hunting these guys, you know, across Europe that pulled off this massive attack in Paris. It shut down a Western capital, you know. It shut down a whole nation, a whole Western nation for, you know, really a few days in terms of interrupting travel and everything else. And yet these guys were part of that network and should have been had, you know, bullseyes on their backs. And instead they're able to pull off an attack like this. We're talking to Tom Jocelyn with the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and the Long War Journal. How significant is it that the Paris uh, bomber mastermind was able to hide out one block away from his uh, childhood home, Tom? I mean, he was hanging out in a neighborhood where everybody knew him. When he went down to get a falafel or a Slurpee, you know, people who saw him were like, hey, how you doing? And yet Interpol couldn't find him. The Belgian authorities couldn't find him, and he was right there exactly where you or I, as total strangers, would look for him. Yeah, you know, it's stunning. I mean, you know, according to some accounts, he was one block away from where his mother lived. Um, you know, it's just amazing. I mean, but you, you look at this, and there are two things to say about this. One, you know, you've already seen some pushback in the press. I saw a report where some American intelligence officials were scoffing at Belgian authorities and basically saying they're just horrible at counterterrorism, and that's what's caused these problems. And I mean, that... That may be. It may be that you have some incompetence here. I mean, this, I never rule that out. I mean, people don't like to blame the bureaucracy after something like this goes down, and I understand that. But by the same token, we've seen time and time again, even here in the U.S., where 
terrorists have gotten through, even though there was plenty of indication beforehand that they should have been stopped. You think about the Fort Hood shooter. You think about the Christmas Day bomber in 2009. You know, his father walked into an embassy and said, hey, my, father, my, my son's an extremist. Somehow that didn't set off alarm bells. Think about the guy who nearly set off a, a bomb in Times Square in mm-hmm. May 2010. So these types of things keep getting through now. And my point in all this is what we're seeing more and more, and this is the bigger point, the second point, the bigger point, is that known terrorists now are getting through the system. I mean, you look back to Paris last year. Okay, this is really stunning. The key ringleader of that plot, not only was he well-known, not only was he the subject of a manhunt across all of Europe, not only had he been identified as a guy who was involved in two prior plots in, in France, okay? right. but he advertised himself in ISIS propaganda, English-language propaganda, basically taunting the entire European counterterrorism system, uh, saying that you can't catch me before the Paris attack. And he still managed to help execute that plot. That's what's really troubling here. So why is that? And I want to offer my theory. And my theory is that if these were, uh, you know, clan members, if these were, you know, heroin dealers, if these were people involved in a different sort of bad behavior, that there would be an aggressiveness and a, uh, you know, willingness to go wherever it takes to find them. But because of the issue of Islam, the fear of being branded Islamophobic, political correction concerns, a literal political concerns in Europe where Muslim voters are a significant voting bloc, that the authorities will go 85% of where they would go in another case, and that last 15% leaves these uh, killers to roam free. You know, I mean, political correctness may play a role in all this for sure. I mean, I, I think that, you know, there, there are people, you know, we have an ongoing debate this long after 9-11 about, you know, what all this means and how it fits together and what the picture is and that's all part of the context in which these things take place. But I would point to something much more specific. You look at what uh, counterterrorism officials in Europe in particular say, and they say the system's overloaded. Mm-hmm. That basically there's so many threats from so many different directions that they can't keep track of them all. And, you know, I look back to what al-Qaeda's original strategy was for the so-called homegrown extremists, which is a phrase I never like. But, you know, this is the thing that they always wanted to do was sort of inspire people abroad to carry out terrorist attacks on their own. And ISIS has capitalized on that and done that themselves. Now, that, that's something different than what we're looking at here. This is, these are professionals. But when you look at that, you look at that, 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 what they were trying to do, they were trying to overload the system with threats. They wanted people to basically, um, you know, in the U.S. and elsewhere, basically tie up the resources of the FBI, counterterrorism officials, those sorts of things, tracking down these people who may not be as troublesome as the professional terrorists. And what this does is it creates more operating space for the professional terrorists. And we saw that in Paris in November, and then we saw it yesterday in Belgium. And this is what's happening. Uh, is the surge of, um, of uh, migrants from jihad-friendly parts of the world into Europe part of that overwhelming of the system? In other words, if Europe had had a more rational uh, policy when it came to uh, refugees, taking, for example, only the ones from Syria uh, and, and as opposed to the tidal wave, do you think that that is part of why the system's overloaded? I mean, in terms of the specifics of how this went down, I don't know. But I would say in general, I think it's common sense that, you know, as you strain uh, government bureaucracies and you say when you now have to manage, you know, many, many more things than you did before and you have to try and figure out who the real threats are and who the, who the people you are you should be screening out, not letting your country... As you start doing that, you start putting more and more burden on these bureaucracies, of course they're going to crack. You know, bureaucracies are not uh, efficient organisms in the first place, you know, and now you're going to ask them to do more and more and more. So I think it's just common sense that the more you ask these nations to basically track all these different 
types of, of issues, that these types of things are going to get worse and worse. One last question for you, uh, Tom. So what is the solution? Well, I think it starts with, you know, listen, all this means we were playing, everybody's playing defense right now. That's right. what they don't want to tell you, right? So the U.S. flies its drones around, takes off a key commander here or there, you know, does some bombing campaigns against ISIS, against the infrastructure they can target through, you know, basically through surveillance and electronic surveillance, that sort of thing. Um, but there's no strategy in place to actually defeat ISIS. There's no strategy in the place to defeat al-Qaeda. There's no strategy in place to defeat any of these organizations. And it starts there. You have to defeat them. You have to beat them. And you have to take away their territory. And you have to say you're not going to hold it. You're not a caliphate. And you have to discredit that idea in the minds of all these believers. And until you do that, you're just going to keep having threats over and over again. Tom uh, Jocelyn with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and the Long War Journal. Thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time. Thanks a lot, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.